All right. Good morning, church. We're in Genesis 4 this morning, cruising. Yeah, we're cruising. We're already in the fourth chapter. We're talking Cain and Abel. And if you, know, if you really want to break it down, the chapter is really about Cain because he's mentioned like 16 times in the chapter. And when Abel is mentioned, half the time it just refers to him as the brother of Cain. Right? There's a quote that says, no one can ever say the name of Abel without saying Cain first. And so the focus of chapter 4, for the most part, is Cain. It's all about Cain. And Adam and Eve, they're, they're moving out of the picture. Right? Except for the statement at the beginning of the chapter from Eve concerning the birth of Cain. And then the statement at the end of the chapter concerning the birth of Seth, you won't really hear from Adam and Eve again. Which I always feel like was kind of strange because, you know, you have this horrific uh, act, right? Cain murders his brother Abel, and you hear nothing from Adam and Eve at, about it at all, right? They, they, it's that, you know, you don't hear one word concerning this, their response or their reaction to this heartbreaking, you know, tragic event. But I think it's because the point of the chapter really isn't a, their response, right? Their response to what happened isn't really the point of the chapter. But we can imagine how they felt, though, right? I mean, their lives were turned upside down, to put it mildly. Um, they were shattered, their life was shattered by violence. But the chapter is so relevant uh, for today. And it, I mean, it has immense current application. We can all learn from it. And it's a, it's a picture, it's a spiritual parable in, in some ways, even though it's not a parable. Okay? <laughs> it's a historic event that actually happened, it's not actually a parable. But it's a spiritual parable in some ways um, uh, of this age-long conflict um, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, right? Between our faith and our flesh. It's a, this dichotomy that runs through Genesis, right? Flesh versus faith. We're going to see it in Ishmael and Isaac. We'll see it in Jacob and Esau. You're going to see it in Joseph and his brothers, etc. It just runs, not just through Genesis, it runs through the entire Bible, of course. And Abel represents those who are by faith in Christ. And Cain, of course, is the seed of the serpent, So let's read. We're going to read Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. It says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. I am. am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, 
My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the hope that's found in it. I thank you for the grace and the mercy that's found in it. I thank you that you're a gracious Lord. I pray, Lord, that we can apply this to our lives, that we can use this as a warning to us just to understand the times that we live in and how we should respond to them. So I thank you for this, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Right? I have acquired a man with Jehovah. Before we continue on, and we'll discuss this more when we start going through the genealogies, but Cain is the firstborn son. Okay? Possibly. All right? How much earlier is he born before Abel? Who knows? Is it important? Not really. Right? Some say that they were born near almost like the same time. There, there isn't. You know, they're probably a couple of years apart, just like normal kids. Right? How long after the fall did this happen? I mean, there's this timeline that we don't know. Right? We know that creation took six days. We know that God rested on the seventh. We know that after that sometime... The fall happened. We don't know how long. That the, you know, most people think that the fall happened really quick. As in, God <laughs> created the heavens and the earth. God rested, and the next day, man put his foot in it, right? <clears throat> I mean, it happened pretty fast. But we don't know when the fall happened. So when did the fall happen in relation to creation? I mean, we, we have these questions. We have timelines. We want to know. Nail this down for me so I understand when this is all taking place. Uh, how many brothers and sisters have been born to Adam and Eve already? We don't know. We're assuming Cain is the firstborn. Okay? <laughs> At least the firstborn son. Right? All we know is, timeline-wise, is that when Seth is born, the third son mentioned in chapter 4, not necessarily the third son born, right? Adam was 130 years old. Okay? So from creation... Two, when Seth was born, we have 130 years. And somewhere in that time frame, Cain and Abel were born, as well as a whole bunch of other brothers and sisters, probably. We know that because when Cain, uh, the next verse, which I didn't read, which we'll get into when we discuss the genealogy, is Cain takes a wife. So the only way Cain can take a wife is if they had had daughters, right? Anyway, so more than likely, Cain and Abel were born early. Okay, so right after the fall or, you know, within a year or two after the fall or something like that. All right? So closer to the fall and not later. Not later to the 130 years when Seth was born. Which gives a lot of time when you read Cain's genealogy to understand that Cain got married and had kids and his kids had kids and their kids had kids and et cetera. And this whole other line was growing along with all the kids that Adam and Eve were having. And Adam and Eve were having a lot of kids. 
Okay? Their family was not just your standard two and a half kids. Right? It, was, it could very well have been in the hundreds, which is hard for us to imagine. But it was a different, <laughs> it was a different time, right? And there are different conditions, and people were living longer, and et cetera. Right? So Cain is born. Now, the language that's used right here in the first verse, it says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, makes me think that possibly she had had daughters already. Okay? Possibly, there's a, there's a slight hint there that possibly she's saying, finally a man. Finally, I got a boy. Right? But also at the same time, what she's also saying is, oh, the promise has come. Right? Because remember Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. She knew that the promise was going to be a man. So she'd been waiting, assuming that this promise was going to be fulfilled in her lifetime. I love this because, <laughs> because what it says is you should understand prophecy. And you should be looking forward to prophecy being fulfilled. Anybody that tells you, oh, you're putting too much emphasis on that. You spend too much time talking about these prophetic things you don't know. We don't know when and where. And so you don't need to focus on it. Just go do other things. Don't worry about it. No, look, Eve, the first woman created, was looking forward to God fulfilling his promise in her lifetime. She was looking. She was looking. And Cain is born and she's like, oh, I have a boy. I have a man with the help of the Lord. The promise has arrived. The promise is here. She, was, she, was, she understood that there was a prophetic statement from God. She was looking for it to be fulfilled. If she had just been like, oh, I'm not going to worry about that. It'll happen sometime. I don't, need, I don't know when. Oh, I'm not even going to focus on it. Would she, you know, maybe she wouldn't even have been thinking about it. But no, she thinks, hey, the promise Cain's name, and it kind of comes out in the fact that she named him Cain, because what does Cain mean? Cain means acquired or gotten or possessed, right? So I have acquired a man. I have acquired the promise. So so Cain may have been their firstborn child. Cain was definitely, I believe, their firstborn son, right? Doesn't really matter. Why, you know, but she thought he was the promise, probably thought he was the promise. But then Abel is born too, not too long after Cain. Abel is born. What does Abel's name mean? Abel got kind of the short end of the stick. His name means vapor. His name means nothing, right? It means vanity. It's, it's almost an insult. I'm not sure she was trying to insult Abel, but it didn't have the same promise to it or, or, you know, gravity to it that Cain's name, Cain's name. Oh, I have acquired, I have received from the Lord a boy. His promise has been fulfilled. A couple years later, you're born able. Oh, vanity. <laughs> Nothing. Right? Poor kid. Right? <clears throat> His name means Nothing. But what it... What, I love, can you get me some more water, please? Here's my cup. <coughs> Once that tickle starts, I can't, I can't get over it. <coughs> but Cain's name, I love names, and we'll do this when we go over the genealogies, but Cain's name reminds us <coughs> that life comes from God. 
Abel's name reminds us that life is fleeting, that it's brief, that you're not guaranteed tomorrow, which I'm sure, <coughs> excuse me, it's not an accident. The problem is, is I sang too much. And it wears my throat out. <clears throat> so then the boys grow up because they're working out there in the fields. They both have occupations. And they had honorable occupations. Cain was a farmer, right? He was, he was producing the food in which everyone was probably eating. The fruit of the fields, all these different things. And Abel was a shepherd, right? Abel's sheep provided clothing <coughs> and was possibly used for sacrifices. The animals were not used for food. They weren't eating animals yet, okay? You see that later in Genesis chapter 5, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 9. So Abel's a shepherd, <clears throat> and he's one of the first shepherds mentioned in a long list of shepherds throughout the Bible. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his sons, Moses, King David, and of course the great shepherd Jesus. So you have all these shepherds that are mentioned. <clears throat> so we have to assume that Cain and Abel were instructed, or had been instructed by Adam and Eve, by their parents, about how to worship the Lord. The Lord was still in fellowship with man, as we can see from this chapter. Right? He, he still had some sort of regular time and place where people could come to him and worship him and, and give him offerings and maybe hear a word from the Lord and get direction and wisdom from the Lord. So you have to assume that they instructed their kids in how to worship the Lord. So Adam and Eve taught them about God, taught them about the importance of worshiping the Lord, right? Because workers need to be worshipers lest they become idolaters and worship the creation and not the creator. So, so remember now, <clears throat> go back to the garden, and when God created coverings from Adam and Eve, perhaps God taught Adam and Eve at that time the importance of sacrifice, the importance of shedding blood, right? Because true worship is taught by God himself, because he, only, he, he is the only one who has the right to lay down rules about how you can approach him, or how you can please him, or how you can worship him the proper way to do all that. So, so God taught that to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve passed that on to their children, Right, so possibly Cain and Abel, they pattern their, their worship and their offerings and their sacrifices um, after what God had did in the garden for their parents, for Adam and Eve, when we, right, when we replaced their fig leaves with his coverings of skin. So with that, we can assume, uh, we can also assume that this was not their first offering to the, God, to the Lord. This wasn't the first time they'd ever come to him with an offering. Matter of fact, it, there's sort of an implication here when you read it that possibly <clears throat> uh, Cain, up until this point, had always just gotten possibly a lamb from his brother, Abel. And they had both brought those to the Lord because that's what the Lord sacrificed to create the coverings for Adam and Eve was an animal. So possibly Cain, all the way up until this point, had always just brought a sacrifice like his brother brought. But then <clears throat> Cain changes it up because Cain's out there working hard and he's bringing, bring, you know, making all this food and getting all this food in the fields and, and doing all this. 
So, you know, so may, and maybe it's possible he changed it up. And this time he brought fruit. He brought, you know, this food instead of the animal, the lamb, or whatever it was that they were sacrificing. <clears throat> so, so more than likely they had made offerings before, and all those offerings that they'd done previously had been accepted by the Lord. <clears throat> I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but it would seem that that's what had happened. So this time they come with their offerings, and it says that God has regard for Abel. That word regard, right, means respect. So God respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Whatever Cain had been doing previously, God respected. But something changed, right? Something changed, right? I mean, was the fruit sour? Were the grapes bruised, right? Did, did he not bring the best of the grapes or the fruit or the food or whatever? You know, he didn't bring in the, the first of the harvest. You know, whoa, I mean, you're, you're trying to look for explanations about why that, this wasn't accepted. I mean, we know they do grain offerings later, so, you know, why wasn't this accepted? You know what? It has nothing to do with the offering itself. Nothing. The offering itself wasn't the problem. What was the problem? Cain was. Cain was the problem, Right? Because Abel's offering, as we find out, was brought in faith. Cain's offering wasn't. And it's that simple. Right? Hebrews 11.4 tells us that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith. Right? Through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. See, Abel's offering was brought in faith. Cain's wasn't. Both boys... Both boys were instructed the same, I assume, when they were raised. Both sons were loved the same, right? Yet they grew up, and as they grew up, they assumed different attitudes, and they assumed different characteristics, and these differences started manifesting themselves in different ways. And though it's difficult to understand somewhat, because we're not given a full explanation of exactly what happened to Cain or why Cain's heart changed or anything among the, about this, it would seem that Cain's heart, that in Cain's heart, resentment started to grow. You know, pride, envy, maybe against the whole situation, against the worship, the sacrifices, all of it. Right? Why do we keep having to bring things to the Lord? Why do I have to go to church every Sunday? Why do you make me dress up, right? You know, why do we have to keep doing I don't want to do this. You know, maybe these little things like that he started griping about and complaining about. Maybe you just didn't, maybe you just didn't like his brother. Oh, shocker, right? Siblings don't get along. Maybe he just didn't like his brother. Right? I always have to get an animal from Abel, right? Why do I always have to get an animal from Abel? What's, why is he better? What's he do that's better? Look at all this stuff I do out here in the field. Why, you know? So maybe this time he's like, I'm going to bring my stuff. Look what I did. Look at this. I did this. Look how great my stuff is. And God said, no, no, because you're not coming to faith. Right? You came to me with your works. You're trying to Im- impress me with your works, and I am not impressed by your works. There is nothing that impresses me about that. 
You know, Abel is listed as a prophet in Luke 11. He's listed as righteous in Matthew 23. So it's, it's <clears throat> right, he's the first person mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. It would seem that Abel's relationship with the Lord was an intimate and a personal relationship. And it would seem that Cables was not, you know, Cain's was not Cables. I just mixed their name right there. Right? It would seem that Cain's was not. Matter of fact, Cain is mentioned as what? He's mentioned as belonging to the evil one. Right? That's not what you want to remember. <clears throat> it says in the Bible that his deeds were evil. All his deeds? Well, possibly. Right? Possibly his heart had hardened against the Lord and all his thoughts and all his intentions were evil from then on. Right? His soul was poisoned. Obviously, only God knows the exact details. <clears throat> As our hearts are always laid before God. Right? He knows us inside and out and all we can do is speculate about why Cain's heart turned. But simply, the problem was Cain. It wasn't his offering. Right? The problem was that his heart was not right with God. <clears throat> There's a quote by Billy Graham that says, uh, the world thinks peace would come if everyone made a lot of money. But people haven't found peace in possessions. They, th they think that the world would have peace if all arms were destroyed. Right? But yet, he says, Cain killed Abel without a handgun. Right? It's man's heart that is the problem, right? It's sin. Cain was honoring the Lord with his lips, or he was trying to, but his heart was far from the Lord, and the Lord called him on it, right? right? It's, faith, it's faith versus works. It's often how it's taught here. And faith is always more important to God, right? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Because you can imagine if God had respect for Cain's offering, this offering of works that he presented before the Lord, and Cain would have been like, look at me, right? Firstborn son, Lord loves my offering, right? And all this, he, it would have gone straight to his head. But it's not about works, it's about faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God rejects Cain's offering, and when God rejects Cain's offering, Cain's, Cain became angry. Right? His countenance, it said, fell. His face fell. It was noticeable. It was noticeable to Abel. But it's God who, who, bring, who asks the question. It's God who uh, you know, warns him. God who immediately calls him on it. Because when it says that Cain became angry, it literally means he became burning hot. He wasn't just upset disappointed, right? He was furious, right? All that resentment and all that pride that had been festering in his heart was now ready to explode. And God sees it immediately, of course, and he calls him on it, giving Cain a chance to back down, right? The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? And again, this is not because God doesn't understand what's going on, right? And whenever God asks these questions, remember, he knows exactly the answer. He's, this is giving you an opportunity. You an opportunity to repent and calm down and back off. And, you know, it's a chance for Cain to, to walk it back, right? Okay, right? to surrender his anger to the Lord. A chance for Cain to obey the Lord. But stubborn and hardened hearts often refuse gracious help. 
So then God gives him this warning. He says, in verse 7, he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, this is the first use of sin in the Bible, right here in this chapter, right here, right? Sin is crouching at your door. So God tells him, if you obey me, isn't that a good thing? Won't you be accepted if you obey me? Obviously, in Canaan, giving this offering was not obeying God and what he was doing. God says, well, if you obey me, wouldn't it be good for you right now, Cain? However, he says, if you don't obey me, Cain, be aware of this. Sin, sin is crouching at the door. Right? Its desire is for you, but you must have rule over it. Right? Its desire is for you, as in it is a beast looking to devour you. You're going to have an opportunity here, Cain, to either obey me or fall into sin. Right? You open that door, Cain, and destruction's going to happen. There's going to be a problem. Right? He says, you, can, you need to have dominion over this. You need to have rule over this, Cain. In other words, don't fall into this trap right now, Cain. Pay attention to what's going on. You know, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, right? Be sober-minded, be watchful, right? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what God's telling him. Sin, your adversary, the devil, is right here. What's your choice? What's the choice you're going to make? Because the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What's the choice you're going to make, Cain? Obey me or sin is looking to destroy you, devour you, right? Unfortunately, Cain didn't heed the Lord's advice, right? I mean, anger is a powerful emotion that never produces the righteousness of God. Right? Cain commits murder. Premeditated, okay? Because when it says that Cain talks to Abel in, in verse 8 there, it means he, he purposely called his brother out into the field. Hey, let's get away from everyone else. You and me, let's just go talk for a little bit, right? Come on. I need to blow off some steam. Come with me. You're my brother. I love you, buddy. Come on. And he gets him out there in the field and just kills him, right? So we see innocent bloodshed rather than obedience to God's word, right? Premeditated murder. Also, how often is the word brother used in this chapter? It's like six or seven times, right? Abel is the brother of Cain. Hey, Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper, right? It's used throughout the chapter. What is that? That's for a purpose. Because what that does is it humanizes what's going on. Abel wasn't just some, right, figure. He, he was another human being created in the image of God. He was Cain's brother. Right? The seed of the serpent corrupted Cain, and with that, Cain slayed Abel. Because Cain's deeds were evil, and Abel's deeds were righteous, as it says in 1 John. So God immediately holds Cain accountable. Right? Because your actions have consequences. 
just as we talked about about the fall. God holds Cain accountable, yet he also shows him mercy. And he gives him a chance to repent. Right? Very similar to how God approached Adam and Eve in the garden as well. So in verse 9, you see the Lord comes to Cain. He says, where is Abel, your brother? Again, not that he didn't know, right? This is a chance for Cain to come out and repent. Cain, where is Abel, your brother? <clears throat> right? Just like God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Right? He asked Cain, where is your brother? God's the initiator. God shows up, just as he did in the garden, to offer reconciliation and to judge sin. However, Cain responds pretty much the same way that his father and mother responded to God in the garden. He responds by refusing to acknowledge any personal responsibility at all, right? Cain's response to God is, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? He lies outright to God. He's somewhat defiant about it. That's more of a defiant response, right? What, am I my brother's keeper? Right? It's like, what do I care where he is? You go find him. But God already knows where he is, right? right? Obviously, Cain didn't care where he was at all. Right? We'll come back to that one in just a second. So God tells him this in verse 10. He says, Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, right? He says, Cain, you can't hide this. You can't cover this up. The voice of your brother's blood's crying to me from the ground. This is also the first mention of blood in the Bible, by the way. If you're keeping track of all the firsts as we go through Genesis, right? And so now the Lord brings down judgment on Cain, just as he brought judgment down on Adam and Eve for their sin. And he brings in the curse and he tells them, listen, the ground's no longer going to yield to you its strength, which means that the land will no longer yield to you the fruits and the grain or whatever it was that you were bringing forth from it, from what your work was bringing forth from it. So now, Cain, you're going to be a vagrant. You're going to be a wanderer. You're going to be a fugitive, right? And, that, and Cain's response is a very typical fleshly worldly response to when judgment comes down for your sin, Right? Cain says <laughs> to the Lord, he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Like what? I kind of think Cain is often saying, this isn't fair. Right? This isn't fair. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure he's saying that, but to me, that's the attitude I read. Like that would be like my response. <clears throat> this isn't fair. I mean, this is like, think of your kids when you right? Got to bring judgment down on your kids for something that they did. All right, well, I'm taking away your screen time. That's not fair, right? I'm calling the president. How dare you do that to me? That's not fair. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smear your name on Facebook. Right? But I love why he thinks it's not fair. I don't know if I should love it. I just... To me, it just speaks so much of our fleshly response, our worldly response to things. He says, I'm going to be a vagrant. I'm going to be a wanderer. I'm going to be a fugitive. If other people come across me, what are they going to do? They're going to kill me. This isn't fair, Lord, because now I may be killed. Oh, that's so terrible, right? I mean, because our response is to this, well, the Lord should have just killed Cain. Death, death, 
right? You killed your brother, you get killed. That seems like an honest exchange here, right? But the Lord is obviously more gracious than us. He's more merciful. But Cain says, this isn't fair. I can't, I can't, this weight's too much for me to carry. People are going to kill me, right? And I think that's so applicable because it's the same. We hear that all the time in the news, especially about people being sentenced for things. Well, this isn't fair. It's not right, right? Even the guy recently who just got <clears throat> sentenced for, you know, lying about a racial attack that wasn't really a racial attack that he made all up. And, and then he got sentenced to, I don't know how many days in jail, but then they, they cut it down to like five or six and released him or whatever because, you know, it's a tough situation and it's not fair. So that's often our response to an actual just judgment. It's not fair. How dare you do that to me? Someone might kill me. You killed someone. I don't want to die. They didn't want to die either. Right? It's not fair. It's greater than I can bear. He doesn't want to be killed. He doesn't seem remorseful, by the way. Cain doesn't seem remorseful. He just doesn't want to be killed, right? He's worried about himself. He may be sorrowful, I guess, you know, but he isn't repenting. But that being said, the Lord must have seen some hope of Cain's eventual repentance because he spares his life. He doesn't just kill him. He doesn't just, you know, judge him right there. And God's judgments are just, they're fair regardless if we think they're fair or not, right? And so what God does is, because he's like, someone's going to kill me. And God says, no, I'm not going to let someone kill you, right? I'm going to mark you. I'm going to give you a sign. There's something I'm going to do. And we don't know what it is, because in the Hebrew, that just means a banner or sign or distinguishing mark. We don't know exactly what it was. We can speculate, right, till the sun goes down. But the point is, God marked Cain in some way so that if anybody... Right, shall take vengeance on Cain, then, he, then, then he's going to give vengeance on them sevenfold. And that must have satisfied Cain. He must have been okay with that. Oh, all right. I'm good with that, right? That's fine. So if someone tries to get me, you're going to get them. Okay, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I get it. Must have been fine with Cain, I guess. Whatever the sign of the mark was, we have no clue. But guess what that was? It was a reminder of a couple of things for Cain. One, it was a reminder of God's mercy and his protection. Can you imagine? Cain murdered his brother. Cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Anger boiled up. The sin has, I mean, in just a short period of time, we've gone from the fall, from eating forbidden fruit, to killing someone. Right? That's the next sin we read about in the Bible. And God steps in when everyone's probably shouting for justice. Like, kill him! Right? What were, I don't know what Adam and Eve were thinking. Did they want to see Cain dead too because he murdered Abel? I don't know. But that's often our response to events like this. Hunt him down. Kill him. Get him what he deserves. And God comes in and he says, guess what? I know what you deserve. But I'm going to give you something else instead. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you mercy. You're not, the consequences from what you did, you're still going to have to bear. I'm not taking away any of that, right? But I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to give you protection, Cain. I, I heard you. I understand you think it's a hard thing to bear. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you grace and mercy and protection. But also this mark was a reminder of the consequences as well of his sin. He was forever marked because of his sin. Yes, it's a sign of God's protection, a sign of God's mercy. It's also a sign of his sin. It's forever going to remind him. Just like Adam and Eve could turn and look at the garden and, and see all the cherubim you know, guarding the gate and all the flaming sword going around and protecting so no one could get back in. They're reminded of their sin. They're reminded of the fall. They're reminded of what they did that separated them from being in the garden and how they can't have that fellowship with the Lord anymore. They're still living around the garden. They haven't gone too far. Right? Cain just moves to the east of the garden when he goes and settles. Right? So Cain has this mark on him. Whatever this mark is, we don't know what it is. Whatever it is, it reminds him that God was merciful. God was graceful. God protected him. And it also reminds him that he's now separated from God in a way that he wasn't because of his sin. So the consequences of his actions are something he still has to bear. But yet he's not dead. He wasn't just killed on the spot. God was merciful to him. But God did send him out. Just like he drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, God sends him out. Says you have to, you know, you ought to go. So Cain settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden, right? Because sin separates us from God. And now Cain was separate. Even Cain brought that up, right? He says, behold, you have dr- driven me today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. Cain understood. My actions have hit, are going to hide me from you. I'm, I'm being driven away from your presence. That's where sin puts us. So, story of Cain and Abel. What do we make of all this? What do we want? What's for us to learn here? There's a few things I think we should bring out. First one, of course, is that we see two ways to approach God, right? By faith or by works, right? Works versus faith, bondage versus freedom. You can't achieve salvation on your own works, right? You can only achieve it through Jesus Christ. In Christ, you have been set free from the bondage of sin and death, right? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, as it tells us in Galatians. Right? So we need to have this God-centered life and not a man-centered life, not a self-centered life. Right? We worship God, not man. So we need to follow God's will, not our own will. Right? We need to show humility, not pride. We need to show love and not hatred or anger. Right? We need to worship God through faith. Right? We need to give glory to God by a life of faith. So those are some things for us. The way of Cain, as it tells us in Jude, for example, um, is a life of selfishness. It's a life of works. It's a life of self-effort. It's a life of pride. That's not the life you want to live. Because right? if you're trying to live that life and please God, you're coming to God with your works. Because that's not a life of faith. So Cain approached God on his own terms. On Cain's terms but we're to approach God on God's terms, right? The way of Cain is not the way that leads to life. Jesus is. So get your heart right before God. Don't let sin master you because the warning he gave to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, that's a warning for all of us because that's a truth, an everyday reality, right? Sin is crouching at your door, right there. Every day when you wake up, guess what? Sin is crouching at your door. Right? It will always be until we are caught up to be with the Lord. Sin will always be crouching at our door. But God has given us tools 
God has given us his word. God has given us his spirit, right? We have the armor of God to help us battle this on a daily basis. We need to master it. We need to fight it. It is a battle, right? So don't give in to sin. Surrender to Jesus. Sin is crouching at your door. But remember this as well. Earth, earth is a violent place. The world, the world is a violent place, right? Cain is still killing Abel in that respect, right? Brothers killing brothers, wars and rumors of wars, Russia and Ukraine, right? The Middle East, all that stuff that's going on, right? The rise in violence across the United States, the rise in murders. Almost every state in the United States has seen their murder stats rise. In 2021, we have had the largest increase in the United States murder rate since 1905. So it's a violent place. And so the conflict between the seed and the serpent and the seed, right? Between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, that conflict continues still. It's still going on. We need to be aware of that, right? And it's rapidly, rapidly, I can't stress that enough, rapidly heading towards its final climax, right? And some may think that Satan is winning. However, we know the truth because we have the word of God, right? Satan is not winning. That's false news. That's propaganda. I've seen a lot of propaganda lately, right? With everything that's going on in the news. Satan is, loves propaganda as well. I'm winning. You, there's no hope for you. It's all propaganda. There is hope. It's found in Jesus. Satan will be defeated. Jesus is victorious. We will overcome. Right? So we are to let the world know. Right? We are to be the light in the darkness. Which brings me to my last point. Because when God calls to, uh, Cain and he says, Hey, Cain, where's your brother? Cain's response is, What do I know? Right? Am I my brother's keeper? Which makes me ask a question. Are there only two choices? Are we to be a keeper or a killer? Well, obviously the answer seems simple, right? Something for you to chew on maybe for the rest of the week. But we are to be a keeper. We are to be our brother's keeper. That's what we need to be doing today. That's what we need to be doing Right? We should always choose to be our brother's keeper. We can't be absolute keepers because we're not around everybody all the time. So we can't, right? we can't watch every choice they make and stop them from making bad choices all the time. It's going to happen. We can't control everything. It's not up for us to control everything. That's too much of a burden for us to try to control that. We have to, you know, bad choices will be made. But, but we should be our brother's keeper, Right? We should, every one of us should be our brother's keeper in that we are in, obviously not to commit acts of violence against them, right? And, or allow others to commit acts of violence against them if we can prevent it, right? But I'm not talking just about acts of violence either, right? Murder. Obviously, we're, don't, don't murder your neighbor, right? Okay, I agree with that. But it's not just about acts of violence, but it's also about speaking truth. Because when you're your brother's keeper, you have to speak truth into someone's life. Speaking truth into someone's life is that when you're your brother's keeper and they're walking towards a cliff, you tell them, hey, <laughs> you might want to stop, right? You're about to walk off that cliff. Hey, might want to watch where you're going. There's a big hole in front of you. Hey, 
good idea not to do that, it's not good for you, right? That's a bad choice. That can harm your health. That can, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right? We, we don't, we don't, you're not your brother's keeper if your response to your brother's problems is, well, it's his life, right? Ah, it's his choices, whatever. Hmm? As long as it doesn't affect me. You're not your brother's keeper then. You're your brother's keeper when you speak truth into that situation. You know that addiction that you have? You know your drinking problem that you got? You know your anger issues that you deal with? Let's work on those, right? If you love someone, then you bring those things up. You talk to them about it. You speak truth in love, right? This is an area that needs to be worked on. Hey, I love you. Let's work on it together. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't care. You do whatever you want. Continue to run your head into that wall. Doesn't matter. You know, whatever. Clean up the mess when you leave. But we, but we don't. We, we're supposed to love our neighbors. We're supposed to, right, love them. So if we're our brother's keeper, we're speaking truth into someone's life. We're not spreading lies. We're not spreading misinformation, right? We're speaking truth into someone's life, and we're not allowing lies to spread by addressing them, right? No, no, that's not true. That's not what God's word said. No. No, no, God loves you. He doesn't hate you, right? We're addressing all those false things that may have heard, and we're not allowing harmful actions or addictions or whatever. We're speaking into it. We're speaking the truth in love. So that's what we need to be. So when God says, hey, where's your brother? You can say, I know right where he is. He's right here, right? I'm my brother's keeper. Instead of, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? No, you are. Be your brother's keeper. Pay attention, watch out. Protect what you can, you know, who you can protect and when you can protect them. Speak the truth in love. Love as Jesus loves. Build up and courage. Don't tear down and destroy. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, actually, let me end with this verse really quick. I forgot it almost. I think it's the perfect verse to end on. It's Romans 16, 20. All right, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you just continue with your spirit, Lord, to, to build us up and allow us to be our brother's keepers. Allow us to love our neighbors. Allow us to be a light in the darkness. Allow us to continue to speak the truth in love. We don't want to be killers, Lord. We don't want to enable sin and let sin run rampant in the lives of those we love, Lord. We want to point them to Jesus. We want them to be redeemed. We want them to be forgiven. We want them to be restored. So we just thank you, Lord, for that. Continue to let us point people to Jesus to the hope that there is. Even in a world as crazy and hectic as today, when they might think there is no hope, we can tell them the truth. We can be our brother's keeper. Thank you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.